Welcome to the show, Brain Health Unchaining Your Pain. And I am really, really delighted to have Dr. Alex Patakos on the show today. Welcome to the show, Dr. Alex. Thank you so much, Dr. Ruth. It's great to be here with you. <laughs> and I and I know that you have a, a very nice uh, nickname, which is Dr. Meaning, based on, yeah. on your background research on a prisoner of our thoughts uh, in terms of the work that you are looking at um, translating from Viktor Frankl and Man's Search for Meaning. So I'm really, really excited to explore this topic in the context of brain health because it's a, an area that we don't spend enough time, I think, dipping into and discussing. Okay. And, and it's one of the four quadrants of of well-being, which is our spiritual well-being, and the other three are emotional, physical, and mental. But we often forget this fourth quadrant, and it's so important and it's so vital in terms of how we live our lives. So I'm really excited to talk to you today about that topic in the context of how we can unchain our pain. No, I'm very much uh, welcome the opportunity to have a conversation with you about this. So yeah. Great. So, so for those that don't know, uh, Dr. Alex, um, he is the co-author with Elaine Dundon of the international best-selling book *Prisoner of Our Thoughts*, um, which is based on the wisdom of the world-renowned psychiatrist and Holocaust su survivor, Dr. Viktor Frankl. Um, he and Elaine have also co-authored the award-winning book on the human quest for meaning, *The Oprah Way*. Which is grounded in Greek philosophy, mythology, and culture, and backed by years and years of meaning research. He's a regular contributor to Psychology Today, an honorary professor at the Moscow Institute of Psychoanalysis in Moscow, Russia. He's also a US Army veteran and so really understands the challenges people face in today's uncertain times. And I just would love um, to for you to tell people in your own words, what is it that you now, given your background experience, are really passionate about today? God, what am I passionate about? I'm passionate about life in all, in all, in all ways, um, and which is really kind of, and I can maybe get into this a little bit later, which is really the background behind this Greek-inspired book that we wrote called The Opa Way. <laughs> um, and it's really about embracing life with attitude, among other things. Uh, engaging with deeper purpose and, uh, and connecting uh, authentically with other people and other things, the, the environment and so forth. So it's the idea that that integrated holistic view of life is something that is really important to me personally. And obviously I bring that passion and enthusiasm to the people that around me, including clients, et cetera. So. Yeah. And do you know, I think it's so important because so often people live a life that is lacking in passion and lacking in purpose and they think it's a really big thing to grasp and so they don't take the time to to look at what they're passionate and, and what what is purposeful in their lives whereas actually we can just look at the ground roots of how can we live purposefully yeah. each and every day yeah. that is going to move us towards something that we we enjoy doing so I think it's a really exciting uh, topic to talk about. And, and particularly for me, I love you talk about connection yes. because connection is so important. And it's one of the five pillars of brain health. And 
when we look at the five pillars, we look at our feelings, our actions, our connections, our thoughts and our surroundings, and they're all interrelated. Mm -hmm. And if we don't take the time to think about how can we connect with ourselves and how can that inner connection facilitate our external connection with others, mm -hmm. then we're really missing a fundamental part of our brain health. Yeah, I would, I would even take that further, and, and I can get into this a little bit, because we distinguish purpose from meaning. And one of the things that I learned, not only from the work uh, that I did with Viktor Frankl, but yeah. also, you know, the, the Greek way, because going back to the ancient Greeks, and you'll hear a lot about Greece during this session here together, um, you know, there's a notion that the unexamined life is not worth living. So the idea of examining our life and looking, as you say, not only about our connections with ourselves, with each other, but it's our connections with nature, <clears throat> it's yeah. our connections with the environment and so forth. I mean, these are all part of what make, makes us human. And so a large part of the work that I'm going to share with you and, and the ideas really come from that perspective. It's it's not just about, as a matter of fact, it's, it's not only, and I'll, I'll probably be a little bit maybe provocative or controversial on this on this program with you, because I am very spiritually grounded and spiritually motivated, which I learned, and I'll, I'll explain how that how that came about and what that means. And so the idea is is that when we talk when I talk about brain health, it's not just about the cognitive functioning of the human brain. It's about a holistic, integrated approach to what makes us human, and that includes mm -hmm. such things as our intuition, our ability to tap into our, our what we call our true nature or core essence of what makes us who we are. And I think mm -hmm. that that's going to be a key element for this in terms of how I see not only can we unchain our pain, but how, how, can, how can we optimize our, our entire being, which includes yeah. the brain health and includes yeah. many other aspects. You know, I think that's, uh, I think that's such a, a great point because we often see um, different parts of our body don't we in isolation but in, especially when we talk about the brain we kind of think that our head is detached from our body yeah. and and they don't talk to each other and indeed some some uh, people are stuck in the past and really don't think they talk to each other yeah, but we're all we're an interconnected being but we're not just an interconnected being to ourselves but we're actually interconnected to the whole world around us yeah, absolutely. Um, and the energy that we, uh, you know, experience from other people, from the environment, from our spiritual connection, whether that's connection to nature or to a higher being or a, or a higher purpose or a higher sense of meaning, whatever it is for that particular person. And, and also the connection we have to our past, the, the present oh. time and, and on our future. And I don't think we really take that like you say that integrated holistic view yes. of us as a human being and it all starts with how we sense everything around us our surroundings how we sense ourselves how we sense that connection yeah um and that as you say is exactly what makes us human so i'd love to explore how you uh your journey that that got you because i know you're a u.s army veteran so i'd love it yeah. if you willing to 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 dive into your past and just tell us a little bit about the journey that got you to, to, where, to where you are today <clears throat> yeah but it'll definitely be a a little bit because uh <laughs> it's very much of a, a, a zigzag path and it's and, and the things that i'm doing today are probably not things that when i was younger i would even expect 
were going to be part of my my human uh, plan, if you will, my strategic plan, because I did not plan to do a lot of the things that I've done uh, over the years. Um, but yeah, I mean, I it, it goes back. I mean, first of all, I mean, as a, as a quick uh, side side note here, I've always been a, I've always been interested in mental health. Yeah. And that goes back, you know, it's partly partly because of my my upbringing, part of some of the issues that I had, you know, not only as a child, as, a, as an adolescent, with people that I knew, friends, family members, and so forth. I happened to live at one point near a, a, a state mental hospital when I was younger. And I was always intrigued by what, what goes on in that place, behind mm -hmm. the fence, behind the wall. And so I ended up eventually getting involved in in the mental health field when I uh, uh, volunteered for the uh, for the draft. And this, and again, this is gonna date, date myself, but as you're gonna tell I'm older, but I, I volunteered for the, uh, for the army uh, uh -huh. just, just as the beginning of, uh, of the Vietnam era. And so, you know, my, and, and of course, the, the Vietnam era was something at that time I was thinking, oh yeah, well, I'm gonna stop the world from communism. Uh, I'm gonna be, uh, you know, try to be with my friends. Uh, we're all gonna be American heroes because it was, it was the US army. And, um, and, and obviously I had a, uh, a rude awakening, if you will, to mm. say the least. But when I was in the military, I had the good fortune uh, because of my background and interest in mental health, uh, I was kind of channeled into studying with uh, psychiatrists uh, at, a, at a number of diff different uh, uh, bases, but including US, US Army Hospital. And uh, I, I ended up getting certified to basically do not just intake work, but case management work in the mental health field with with veterans that were you know, coming back from Vietnam as well. But I, I ended up um, living overseas in a couple of places, but eventually landed in, the, in West, at that time it was West Germany in Heidelberg. And wow. uh, I worked in a psychiatric facility there. Um, and I also worked in a, uh, in a correctional uh, stockade. And these were all mental health issues that were being faced by the military veterans. And then I also had the opportunity to work with their, their, many of their families. And so that was like, again, a, a, an eye opener for me because the training that I had received at that time was pretty much grounded in Freudian thought. Uh, and, you know, the whole idea of, of regression therapy and, you know, what did, you know what, what did you do and how were you potty trained and all that kind of stuff. And that never resonated with me. Mm -hmm. But I had read a book, Man's Search for Meaning, when I was in high school. And so that became kind of something that latched onto my soul, if you will. And so when I got out of the military, uh, I also had done some work as a journalist. And then I started working with another uh, in another mental health uh, uh, profession uh, in the state of Illinois in, in the States. And so I worked in a state mental hospital, um, mainly with uh, inpatients who were uh, diagnosed with schizophrenia. Right. So again, that again opens up your eyes. And, I, and I'm, I'm a young person at this time. So I mean, it's like, mm. uh, you know, this is kind of like, I mean, I remember the first time I I was thrown into a, uh, a padded cell with a young adolescent who was what they call the headbanger. And, mm -hmm. um, and they wanted to find, they were watching me, the, the people that were hiring me for this position. And they wanted to see what I would do for this person banging his head up against the wall. It was padded. He wore a helmet, but I mean, he had cauliflower eyes and ears and he was all beat up and self self abuse. Mm -hmm. but, but, but that experience uh, really got me into thinking, you know, what's behind all this stuff? What's, yeah. What are the things that motivate human beings to not just abuse themselves, abuse others, 
uh, you know, be angry. You know, why do we have anger management? Why do we always? And so I get closer and closer to Viktor Frankl's ideas. I reread Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, I got involved in a number of other, uh, amongst, along the way, a couple of other jobs that brought me closer and closer. And then eventually, and I'm making a long story short here, I was, a, I was elected president of a uh, international nonprofit organization that was focused on elevating the human spirit at work. Wow. And, and th that position brought me in touch with people from a, a lot of charlatans, a lot of quacks, but a lot of really good, sound people who are really interested in raising human consciousness. And this included people who are associated with, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Institute for Noetic Sciences, but it's about mm -hmm. really about shifting consciousness and what is consciousness. I can explain that later if you'd like. And anyway, so that position brought me all over the world, basically. And one of the places I was I was able to, to, to visit and spend time in was Vienna, Austria. And before I went to Vienna, I contacted uh, Dr. Frankel's family, uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Frankel his family and had the opportunity to go to Vienna and meet with him and wow. spend some time talking about a book that I wanted to write, and um, which is actually a, a version of the book that I'm doing right now. And, uh, and <clears throat> at that time, I remember explaining what I wanted to do, and he, he grabbed my arm and he said, Alex, yours is the book that needs to be written. <laughs> and, um, and so that became kind of a, like a brand in my soul, yeah. a tattoo on my soul. And at that point, I said, okay, I have to finish this book. I have to, I have to spread this message of meaning because, you know, no matter what experiences I've had up to that point, seeing this person and now basically standing on his shoulders and understanding what he had been through. And I've been through a lot of stuff. I've been to hell and back a few times. But to know what he had been through, I just yeah. think, okay, if he can find meaning in all the suffering, all the pain, all the things that were, you know, I mean, this guy was an inspiration. I mean, he was, you know, he was, he was a giant in my mind. And, and so at that point I said, this is what I've got to commit my life to. So at that point, this became the, the search for meaning, not just for me, but for people I work with, I encounter became a life mission. And so mm -hmm. that's basically where I am today. I'm mm -hmm. still doing wow. it. Wow. <clears throat> and the nickname Dr. Meaning came from, you know, doing conferences, keynote addresses, and people finally, one, one day I was at a conference and I was introduced as Dr. Meaning, and then it, it stuck after that. So, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. And and you know, I think you know, for those people that haven't read Victor Frankl's book, it is absolutely phenomenal. And it for me, I, you know, I, I know you mentioned that you went to Germany. So one of my interests when I was going through my education was to learn about why. Uh, why the Germans and why we had this Holocaust issue and who were the Germans today versus the people that, you know, committed these atrocities. And I, I was, was fascinated with kind of building the bridge and, and making that connection because who we are today is not who we were 50, 100 years ago. Right. And, and I went to Buchenwald, which is one of the concentration camps when I was mm -hmm. probably about 11 or 12 to, to, to experience just the, just the pain and the suffering that they went through and to read about it in the way that Victor, Victor Frankl described just really brings it home, doesn't it, as to how important it is to find a way to get through 
whatever trauma it is that you're experiencing and in in the way that he found it was yeah. was through meaning so I, I would love for you to describe or, or define what meaning really is because I know you said there was a difference between meaning and purpose right what what is the definition of meaning yeah well well let me let me start by saying something here since this is um inside the, the sessions of you know your podcast is not a brain health mm -hmm. what is optimal brain health to me and it really re it really relates and re resonates with me in terms of the title of our book prisoners of our thoughts yeah. because to me optimal brain health is our ability to one not be a prisoner of our thoughts and two not to hold others a prisoner in our thoughts and so if we can do that, that's going to require a lot of stuff. That's, that's, you know, the kind of work that you do with people, the kind of work that I do is to help people get out of that. Because when you start talking about things like, uh, you know, a Nazi uh, concentration camp or, you know, we had prisoners of war in Vietnam and so forth, those are physical incarcerations. And I've done a lot of work with inmates as well, by the way, and, and, and mm. prisons. And, and there's one thing being a prisoner physically incarcerated in a concentration camp or a prison or a jail and then there's other kinds of prisons. There are yeah. inter intermental concentration camps, intermental prisons that hold us back from being all we can be. And Dr. Frankel talked about that. I talk about that a lot. And it's how do we escape that? And so part of the idea of unchaining your pain is unchaining yourself by finding the key to your inner mental prison, your inner mental jail cell that's holding you back from doing other things. And like you mentioned uh, earlier, uh, before we just started, uh, working with people with PTSD, you know, and I've had a lot of experience in that realm as well. And as you know, there are a lot of people that think that in addition to post-traumatic stress disorder, there's also post-traumatic, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, growth dis uh, potential. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so it's how we look at it. And so part of this kind of goes back to not being a prisoner of our thoughts, being open-minded and seeing that. So question, purpose versus meaning. You know, purpose in many respects, and I'll get into this when I talk a little bit about the OPA way. I gotta mm -hmm. put, put it out there, because the <laughs> Greeks are very good about expressing themselves and about understanding what it is that makes life meaningful and so forth, that brings joy to uh, the villages and so forth. And so the OPA way book was building on about seven years of, of research and experiences around this Greek experience. And I think it's important to understand that purpose is certainly a part of our formula for meaning because to have have a an engagement with a deeper purpose not just the purpose of you know getting up in the morning and getting a coffee mm -hmm. or a tea a cuppa since you're in the UK mm -hmm. it's also the opportunity to understand as you said how do we connect authentically with other other people with the environment yeah. with our neighbors that's a, that's a component of meaning as well and then the third thing, which is really part of the Greek experience and in the open way, but it's also a key element of Dr. Frankel's school system of logotherapy, is the ability to understand that everybody who's listening to this has the ultimate freedom to choose their attitude. So choosing your attitude, especially when you're undergoing some sort of suffering, is an important element of meaning. Okay, so the idea is, is that meaning is different than purpose in the sense that even if like a, a, a child dies uh, in, in, you know, before birth, premature, mm -hmm. um, that does not mean that that child does not have meaning. It may not have been able to fulfill a purpose in terms of its purpose that you know, hopefully we were all allowed to do, that we can be what we, whatever we can become. Uh, but just be, or you die tragically in an accident 
or you're, you know, you're somebody who has an incurable disease. The purpose that that person might want to pursue is no longer available to him or her, but mm -hmm. he or she still has a life that is meaningful, that has meaning to it. And mm -hmm. so it's up to us to find it. So as Dr. Franco would say, there's a seed of meaning in every moment of our lives. Yeah, and I can really relate to that story, you know, because I lost a, I lost a baby through miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And it was really traumatic, you know, experience. Even though it was an early miscarriage, it was very traumatic. Obviously, our hormones go through a huge surge and then a massive crash. Um, and what got me through was really finding the meaning in that experience and the meaning that that child that unfortunately didn't have a life left in me um, to know that actually I was not creating the right environment for that child to grow and I didn't have the knowledge to know what that right environment needed to be even though I you know, I've PhD in, in in medical imaging, but actually, I hadn't taken the time um, to invest uh, in how to be an effective um, nurturer of a human, mm -hmm. and so I had to I had to take that as uh, owning that issue and, and take the meaning from that experience and go. Do you know what? I'm going to create the best environment that I can possibly create for any future child that I'm able to make. And that means that I have to make changes to my habits, my behaviours, to how I see the world, um, how I connect with what is important to me in terms of creating the right uh, status in, in my body as a female. And we know that it's it, it's really important, you know, managing our stress levels is really important. There's so many things that are dependent on creating that right nurturing environment, whether that's in the womb or beyond the womb, um, to help people really live a, a, a meaningful life in whatever way they they choose to find that that meaning. So that that story really. Um, resonates with me because I can and, I can relate to that. And you, and you raise some really important points uh, in terms of your experience, because in some respects, it's important from our perspective and from Dr. Frankel's perspective that is different than many other people might uh, say about this. The topic is that we don't create meaning; we find meaning, we discover meaning. So mm -hmm. meaning is already there. Okay, it's in the universe. You know, what, what, if you, whatever your metaphysical orientation may be, whatever your spiritual faith-based orientation may be, there's something out there that's greater than ourselves. Mm. And that's how I, that I believe. And so the thing is, is that the issue about meaning is that we are being challenged to answer to life, <clears throat> to answer life's call. We're being challenged to discover, to find the meaning in every situation. Now, obviously, we don't do that in everything, everything that happens, but we should at least be doing that for the key milestones of our life. And so when you have a miscarriage, part of his, your meaning was to discover what that was. Part of your purpose was to discover that meaning. And, and in some respects, your unborn child's purpose was to educate you and provide you with an opportunity, whether you take it or not, not everybody does that, to explore the deeper meaning of that experience. Mm. And the more that we can do that, <clears throat> that gets back to the Greek idea that the unexamined life is not worth living. 
And the issue is, as Franco would say, you don't have to suffer to learn, but if you don't learn from your suffering, your life is becoming meaningless. You know, you're losing the sense of meaning. And you, you mentioned the word sense. You know, sense, like <clears throat> Prisons of Our Thoughts in one of the earlier editions was published in Spanish under the title of En Busca del Sentido. Sentido is meaning, but it also relates to sense. And so when you think about making sense of something, it's finding the meaning in it, right? Yeah. And so, that, that, so that's an important element for your listeners to understand is that we're being challenged by life. You know, life doesn't just happen to us. We happen to life and we make it meaningful, whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. And I, I do know, I think that's a really poignant point, particularly given how life has evolved in the last two years with COVID. Absolutely. Uh, and and I'd, I'd love to explore really the topic of prisoners of our thoughts because i'm reading a book at the moment called think i'm broken and by michael anthony where he, he took he says that we have about thirty thousand thoughts every day um and we spend about 70 percent of our time listening to the negative thoughts and not enough time listening to the positive ones and actually when i uh, i had some adverse childhood experiences and when i was 15 um, I drew a picture uh, as if I was a prisoner in my mind. It's, and you can find it on my website, on the Wellbeing Warrior Academy page, where I'm, I'm actually trapped in my mind, in a maze in my mind, and I can't get out. And that's exactly how I felt. And obviously, maybe the, the reason I was so interested in the Holocaust experience and everything else is trying to learn how people escaped. Um, because ultimately, when you experience external trauma, sometimes the escape is within and you have to go inside to find, like you say, the meaning. But sometimes we, we don't find it. And so we become a prisoner within mm -hmm. our own mind because of the thoughts keep playing and, and we feel trapped. Yeah. So how, how, do you, how do you feel the life has shifted for people in the in the last two years where perhaps people have become more prisoners of their thoughts or or prison prisoners of other people's thoughts yeah. as, you, as you mentioned earlier what what's what's really changed from your experience yeah <clears throat> well that's a that's a that's a tough question in some respects because on the one hand i'm seeing a lot more people who even though they may not <clears throat> have yet escaped the prison of their thoughts, their inner mental prison, mm -hmm. they're much more aware that that prison exists. And that's a step. That's kind of like the first step of a 12-step program, right? Is being aware that yeah. maybe I'm holding back because I'm you know, a prisoner of my own thoughts or I'm, I'm holding Dr. Ruth a prisoner in my thoughts. She's this way and not that way kind of thing. So I'm seeing that, that that's, that's a trend. But what I'm also seeing, which is disturbing to me, and, and I, I do write for a, a number of different online media, including Psychology Today. And I, I wrote a piece for Psychology Today <clears throat> about collective guilt, because like Dr. Frankel, I don't believe in collective guilt, which is basically the idea that, that, you know, that because you're a member of a group, either an ethnic group or religious group or whatever, and that group, somebody in that group did something terrible, like the Nazis did in uh, you know, World War II, that every subsequent and every other German, therefore, is guilty of that atrociety. Yeah. And then many people believe that, that they feel, well, they're part of that. 
And we saw the same thing in 9-11, uh, where after 9-11, every Saudi Arabian, every Muslim was obviously a terrorist. And so that's another manifestation of what we call collective guilt. And so mm -hmm. the idea here is that I'm seeing a lot more collective guilt today because, for example, we're battling people who are vaxxed versus unvaxxed. Yeah. And if you're on, if, if you don't have a vaccination, you're obviously far right. You're a neo-Nazi. You know, you're, uh, you know, you're all the all the problems you can imagine. And that's really a sad commentary on society today and humanity is for us to not learn from the past. Let's not recreate what led to uh, the Holocaust and have, mm -hmm. you know, now we're having versions, people call it medical apartheid and so forth. And I think that this is the sign of thing that I've been battling against and been arguing against for a lot, a long time. So, and that's another, a whole other issue, but it's, mm -hmm. it's important. So, and it so kind of goes back to the first principle, doesn't it, that you talk yes. about in your book, Prisons of Our Thoughts, which is our freedom to choose our own attitude. Our own attitude, exactly. I mean, you know, the ancient Greeks said this, and Viktor Frankl was very much influenced by Greek philosophy as well. As a matter of fact, logotherapy, which was his system of psychotherapy, is grounded in the word logos, which is a Greek word, logos. And the logos is interpreted typically as the word as reason, it's kind of the base word of the word logical. Uh, it's also a root word of the word uh, dialogue and so forth. But it's an ancient Greek word. And if you go to the pre-Socratics, that is before Socrates' time, to places people like uh, Heraclitus, uh, the logos also had a spiritual meaning. And so <clears throat> when you have, for example, authentic dialogue is actually not just a pool of understanding. It's not just cognitively understanding the, what the message that we're trying to get, what the, what the meaning is of a of a particular uh, issue. Authentic dialogue is actually a connection of collective spirit. So when people are in actual dialogue, true dialogue, you mm -hmm. can feel, they resonate with each other in terms of yeah. quantum mechanics. You can actually feel that. And then you've probably seen this in, in, at work or in, in places where people are really having an open and transparent discussion, which is a true dialogue. And all of a sudden, somebody they don't like, maybe it's a boss, a supervisor, sticks his or her head in the room. And what happens? The energy takes a dive. And I think also here, you don't have to talk to have that true connection either. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you can have that authentic dialogue without physically talking. Absolutely. To absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, a number of years ago, actually, before I met Dr. Frankel to talk about what became Prisoners of Our Thoughts, I was, I was, I was uh, participating in a uh, dialogue session in uh, Switzerland. And we had people from all over the world, uh, many, many different languages. Many people spoke, obviously, no English or German or French. And, and we, we couldn't communicate with each other through language. But we communicated through body language. Yeah. And you could tell when somebody actually was a kind person, was somebody that you wanted to, to be a friend with, and so forth. So you're absolutely correct. There's, 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 again, this gets into the metaphysical dimension yeah. of health. You yeah. know, that we're, we're connected in ways that we don't know. I mean, there's a, a saying, you know, in, the, in, in, the, in our books that, you know, that, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And, yeah. you know, and that's part of what drives our intuitive capacity. Yeah. We but see it in dogs as well, don't we? That connection that people have with service dogs and, oh, uh, you know, how they ha detect people who are about to have an epileptic fit, for example, yeah. or about to have a seizure is this connection that isn't verbal. That's right. But, it exists. It exists. 
And, and it, you know, and so the only way to be able to understand that and, and believe in that is that we, and this is part of the challenge I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give to you when you start talking about brain health is that you have to really be careful, very careful that you use brain health because the word itself sounds like it's a total physiological phenomenon and all I want is an MRI and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, you'll, and you'll light up this part of my brain and everything will be great. No, we're human beings. And part of yeah. our humanness is what we call, instead of the mind-body-spirit connection, we refer to it as a spirit-mind-body connection. And yeah. so that human spirit is the thing that kept Viktor Frankl alive. That human spirit is the yeah. thing that kept me alive in many cases, in, in my experiences. Um, and, and it's that, and as soon as you start losing that, as soon as your sense of spirit, which that spirit is also, again, going back to the logos and yeah. dialogue and logotherapy, it's really therapy through meaning. It's therapy, yeah. even deeper, therapy through spirit. It's a spiritual connection. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about church, no. right? I mean, you can do whatever you're, whoever's listening to this, whatever your faith-based orientation is, go for it. I'm just saying is that the spiritual connection that we have as human beings, including our spiritual connection to animals, as you said, yeah. to, to, to nature, to nature. Tree, trees and, and <laughs> the ocean and so forth. I mean, these are all elements that make us part of the, what, what the Greeks call Gaia. It's Mother Earth. It's the universe. And I yeah. think that's the part, as you can tell, I'm very enthusiastic about this topic. But that's the thing that we have to get people to understand. Because yeah. right now we don't have it. We're, what we're doing is we are reducing people to their component parts. Yeah. And I argued, the other, I argued the other day, I'm sorry to interrupt you here, you can tell. No, I'm that's okay. I love that. I keep going. I'm loving this okay. topic. I, I was a professor for a long time and I'm Greek, so I happen to move my arms a lot. Uh, <laughs> it's better in person, believe me, because I can walk around. <laughs> else. But the idea here is that we don't have, like even in the UK, we don't have a national public health system. We don't really have a health system that's integrated holistic. What we have is a disease management system. Yeah, and so we don't have idea. a health system. It's a yeah. disease management system. Yeah. It's not about be well. Exactly. Treat sickness. That's right. There's so many things about nutrition, about breathing, about exercise, about there's so many things outside of getting a jab. Yeah. And somehow we don't discuss that. We don't no. note that on, on, on the national media. And do you know what? You, you're going to get me started. I'm going to get on my hobby horse soon okay. as well. Okay. I, think it's so, I think it's so, that is such an important point is that, we get we take such a narrow view absolutely of of health you know and brain health we you know some people talk about brain health and that's hopefully not me in a very narrow-minded exactly. way um but for me it and we talked about this really at the beginning is it covers four quadrants of your well-being which is your emotional well-being your physical your mental and your spiritual right. and people often forget the spiritual element absolutely that is so fundamental you know, if we don't have that, then we're missing a huge part of what makes us well and, and what allows us to optimize ourselves and, and live live a life of meaning. And I think, you know, if we reflect on some of the messaging that is coming out is the fact that because it's so narrowly focused on, on fixing the sickness mm -hmm. rather than teaching people how to be well which is one of the missions of of the the academy i'm establishing is that people don't learn to get better they're just constantly fighting sickness that's right and, and so and, that, and, and so it goes back to not taking ownership absolutely and, and, and this, is, this is key, this is another key point of victor frankl's <laughs> love of therapy 
is that we have to have personal responsibility and collective responsibility, not just for saying, okay, well, we're all going to get uh, you know, injections and therefore I'm responsible. No, you may be just following whatever the dictates are, the narrative. Yeah. And being personally responsible for your own health is something we're losing a lot of. And so people Absolutely. are we're assuming that better living through chemistry. Just give me a second. I used to be an advisor. I used to work for, with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. And I know personally that, you know, that many of the people, the scientists and so forth that work in FDA are really committed to public health. But I know on a political level, there are many people that have another agenda. And I think it's really important for us to understand that ultimately health is our responsibility. And obviously, there are going to be people that have certain conditions that require intervention. I'm not denying that. But I'm just saying is that there's so much that we can do for each other and for ourselves by being and being role models for optimal health rather Absolutely. than being somebody waiting to get sick. Oh, now, give me give me a drug, you know, give me some pill or whatever. That will fix it. And that'll fix it. And, and it's not yeah. going to happen. And, and so right. I think that, that's those are some of the things. And if I get back to purpose and meaning again, you know, the purpose is, is more of a destination. It's like understanding you can change it all the time. I mean, think yeah. about how many times you've changed destination in your life, yeah. in my life. You know, that's, these are our purposes. And some of our purposes are many purposes. Like, you know, our purpose is, uh, you know, to get to work on time or whatever. Now, yeah. Nowadays, you don't have to do that. You just go from your bedroom to your, to your, your, your computer for, to get on Zoom, yeah. just about, <laughs> for a lot of people. Um, but the idea is that that's a purpose. But there are deeper purposes. And so what do we mean then by meaning in that sense? How do you differentiate? Well, the meaning, many people define meaning as being something, doing something or being significant. So I have yeah. a good job, you know, I have a significant role in my community. That's one way of looking at meaning, okay? But meaning to Elaine, my co-author and wife and I, is, is deeper than that. It's a, it has a spiritual connotation again. It's about connecting with our true nature, our core essence. And you mm -hmm. go, what the hell is that, okay? Well, you got you gotta explore it. You got to do some. You got to go and find story. what's you. Exactly. You got to go <laughs> understand your authentic self. Exactly, your inner self. Find out, and and people say, well, well, how do I know what's meaningful for me? Well, I can tell you right now that I ask people. I know some people don't like me saying this, but I can say, well, let's make a list in your workplace or in your personal relationships or whatever. What's meaningless? So we make a list of things that are meaningless things, and I say, okay, well, how do we convert that now? How do we turn yeah. that over? And, and I'm not telling, somebody said the other day, how, that's a bad recommendation because you're just telling me I should go do more and more meaningless things and I'll find meaning. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, look at your life, look at yeah. your trajectory and say, what are some of the things at work or in my relationships or whatever that I find meaningless? And then say, okay, now what can I do? What can I, what personal responsibility can I take to change it even a little bit and yeah. work? Because the more you do that, you start filling your gas tank, your fuel tank with meaning. But if you yeah. don't do that, you're, you're in a dead end job. I mean, I used to work, I used to go into companies doing a lot of consulting before COVID. And I literally, I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with the movie, The Sixth Sense, but I could walk into, oh, a, yeah. I, I could walk into a company environment and I say, I see dead people because they're coming to work, but they leave their soul at home. Yeah. And I used to be that person where yeah. there was, there was no soul. There was no yeah. meaning. There was exactly. no passion, no nothing. Yeah. So what do you do work. about it? And so that's and so if you think about that, let's look at passion in another way as well. Let's use the word that we use in the Oprah way, enthusiasm. You mm -hmm. know, what is enthusiasm? Well, that comes from two Greek words, and it basically means manifesting the God, the divine, or the spirit within. So if you're not enthusiastic about your relationship, if you're not enthusiastic about your work, about whatever you may be doing, 
Basically, what that means is that, you know, you're not manifesting your inner self, your inner spirit. And so how are you going to change that? What are you going to do? What are you going to do differently? You know, and so and, and I think those are the kinds of existential questions that more and more people since COVID began are starting to ask themselves. Not everybody has the answers. They need to go to you. Then maybe some come to me. They read a book. They go to a workshop. They take a, go on a retreat if they can, maybe a virtual one at least. Mm -hmm. uh, but they have to spend some time doing the self-discovery. And the if there's anything good that will come out of COVID, hopefully we can get out of COVID before everybody turns into living in un under totalitarian rule. Mm -hmm. But hopefully that people will find more, know more about themselves. I mean, know thyself. Yeah. It's on the, you know, the Temple of Apollo you know, in, in, in Delphi. I mean, know thyself. What does that mean? You know, and that's part of finding meaning. And if we don't do that, meaning doesn't just pop up here without our awareness. We have, to, and that's why you see this a lot of people getting into mindfulness, which basically is an evolution from meditation. And, and so what does that mean? It means like, how do we get in touch with who we really are? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you're trying to do with brain health. It's not just, but when, when, uh, when I agreed to be with you today, I mean, somebody asked me, he said, well, why are you going on a brain health? <laughs> It says, you're into spirituality and deep meaning. I says, you're not just in it. No, I'm not looking at it like we're going to all do a brain scan together. And we're gonna, no, that's the answer. Cool. You know I mean? <laughs> so I think it's important for us to understand that. And so I hope that your listeners, you know, when, when they do listen to this, and we're, just, and we're recording this, we're not live. We right? are, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that they gain some awareness, some heightened awareness, which is basically what, what the definition of meditation is. It's heightened awareness of who they are, how they relate to, to, to other people, how they relate to the environment in a broader sense, and, and then find some deeper sense, i.e. meaning, in that understanding. So I, I'd love to transition to a quick uh, fun facts questionnaire right. for you right. now. because yeah. <laughs> I know you did um, send those. <laughs> fun facts is looking at the five pillars of brain health, and the yeah. first is feelings, second is our actions, the third is our connections, the fourth is our thoughts, and the fifth is our surroundings. So um, I'm not going to go through all of them. Just come and ask you a couple. Hey, I'm ready for them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's let's just smash through this because I'd okay. love I'd love to hear your hear your perspective. So, feeling starting off with feelings. What is the funniest or most embarrassing thing that has ever happened to you? Yeah, well, I, I thought about that for a bit uh, <laughs> when I got your your uh, your instructions, and I I would have to say going back a long time, the back when I was a senior in high school, right. Um, I had a part in a, at the first time our high school ever did a musical and it was My Fair Lady, all right, which you're familiar with, obviously. Yeah. And I had a key role in My Fair Lady. And during that time I was, I was in a scene and it was a full house in the theater and there was a scene, it was very serious. And all of a sudden the audience started laughing, you know, and here I am talking and doing, I have to sing a song and everybody's laughing and I'm thinking, what is going on here? And I, well, as it turned out, you know, everybody was hilarious. And I'm going, I, I, am, I, am I that good? Or I'm supposed to be doing a serious role here. And everybody's laughing. Well, I found that afterwards that during the scene, I had been pushed down by, um, I don't know if you remember My Fair Lady, Eliza Doolittle. Uh -huh. And when I fell down, I tore my pants. Oh, and no. when I got up, my pants were all ripped in the back. <laughs> and I tell you, you want to talk about being embarrassed when you get off stage? And everybody said, I said, why is everybody <laughs> laughing? And I said, because you tore your pants and you can see your underwear. And so that was, oh, that was no. my most embarrassing moment. I mean, well, at I, least I just, you're wearing underwear, eh? 
Yeah, at least I had underwear, underwear on, exactly. And as a teenager, <laughs> it was, you know, not, it, was, it was hard enough. It was the first time we did a musical. And at that time, it was like, you know, we really wanted to be perfect. And but wow. fortunately, I got a chance to come up again the next night and the night after that. So it worked. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for sharing that, because that, that just takes me back to my dad's uh, show stage. And I have some flashbacks of my dad doing hysterical things on the stage, yeah. uh, actually um, being in a Greek uh, show and not wearing enough clothing as part of the uh, as part of the show. <laughs> so thank you. you and yeah. um, so I, I'm going to go on to another fun fact is um, connection because I know we've talked about this. So connection to yourself. What is the most important value that guides you in life? B value or role model what was that are we talking about personal oh, well, well connection to others is role models so okay. but in, in internally what well, really well, clearly, guides you what's your well, guide in prisoners of our thoughts we, we define uh one key dimension of logo dr franco's logotherapy as the will to meaning and the will to meaning as opposed to the will to pleasure or the will to power uh, the will to meaning is defined in our book as an authentic commitment to meaningful values and goals. And so if I think of it in that way, what's driven my life, even way before I understood that this was about a meaning journey, was yeah. the fact that my commitment was to meaningful values. I had to do something that was meaningful, that I felt I was making a positive, meaningful difference. And if I didn't, I'd change jobs, I'd change relationships, I'd do whatever. And so yeah. meaning, meaning, meaning as a value is probably wow. the most important thing. Yeah, and you know, I don't think people talk about meaning as a value very often. Yeah, well, and I and I think it's a really great point. Yeah, they, is that more and more now when they get around me, they do, or or they <laughs> fake, or they or they fake it. <laughs> <laughs> so another one on connection is uh, who's been your role model? Well, I thought I thought I thought about that, and obviously, besides my wife, uh, who's a, certainly a role model and a muse, um, I've also been you know major impact was my father obviously mm. and obviously you know the most you know the, the one that's probably the most well known people know in a about positive way is, or... is victor frankel huh? What's yeah that? so for your dad was it a he was he a positive role model in that you wanted to emanate what what you know how he behaved or, well it, it's it's, or... it, it's his spirit he died at a young age uh -huh. um and so he's he's passed now and so i didn't get a chance to experience him later in life which we would have spent more time he was very busy and so forth but <clears throat> Here's, let me just give you two quick examples of what, why he's a role model to me. One of them is, is he was committed to meaningful values. As an example, he also was in the military during World War II, and he, was, he served with a unit that actually liberated the camps. So that was wow. a major part of his uh, experience, which, you know, he didn't talk much about World War II, but I, I do know that, and I do know that he did some very special things then. The second thing is, is that <clears throat> our family, and my father instilled this in me, probably in my DNA as well, is from an area of the island of Crete in Greece that is very well known historically as, as being one of the few areas that was never fully occupied by uh, the Romans, uh, the, the Venetians, uh, the Egyptians, the Turks. They, they all tried to control Crete, the island of Crete. And this area is called Svakya. And so my family's from there. And so they're very much revolutionaries uh, and they have a revolutionary, almost like Spartan spirit. Uh, they won't take no for an answer. If you tell them you can't do it, they'll find a way to do it. And I, and I think that my father instilled that, that sense of value and spirit in me 
as well as probably physiologically in my DNA that, you know, mm. I, I have to keep, I have, I'm like a, the energizer bunny. Yeah. Wow. That's that. Do you know, I think my, my dad personally was a real role, role model for me too, in terms of his values and how he lived. And actually I learned a tremendous amount for him from him after he passed away. Yeah. Um, and I wish I'd taken the time to listen <laughs> and learn when he was yeah. on this, on this planet but yeah. i'm really grateful that his legacy that he's left me with um is one that i can constantly find meaning in and try and live live my life in a way that i he lived his and one of his underlying um principles was kindness mm -hmm. and yeah. and he was extraordinary you know unconditionally kind it was always put into the bank of giving but never expect to draw from it yeah. never expect anything back or always focus on uh, on giving to others and supporting others and and he you know the the number of people present at his funeral was just testament to to his kind nature yeah yeah that's but that's a wonderful attribute to emulate and uh, but that's certainly a legacy that hopefully you and, and I can pass on as well. So yeah, yeah. thanks for sharing that. No, you're welcome. So I'd love to go on to the to the fourth pillar, which is our thoughts. Um, what is the stupid, most stupid or crazy thought you've often told yourself in the past mm. that isn't true? Okay, well, <laughs> let me, if, if you don't mind, um, let me think about that for one second. But I think that, it was another question that you had asked before about what's the craziest thing you've done, right? Oh, yeah. Right? That's on actions, yeah. yeah. And if I can start with that and then get into Oh, that. yeah, definitely. Okay. Let's go with that. All right. Um, a, a number of years ago, again, uh, when I was working for, the, uh, for a mental health agency in the U.S., uh, I was working in a, uh, in a uh, mental health facility, again, that was primarily inpatients. Uh, that were uh, parano you know, paranoid personalities, schizophrenics, and so forth. And I was sitting in a uh, in a almost a group session, if you will, watching a uh, uh, NFL a football game on TV with these patients. We we're just kind of casually at that point. There was no therapeutic, in, you know, uh, yeah. exercise going on. <clears throat> and one of the patients, these are all people from this is the city of Chicago, south side of Chicago, said watching the game and there were a lot of seats in the, in the stadium that were empty and this patient said you know i've lived my whole life in chicago i've never been in that stadium which is soldier field is the name of the stadium and i've never got a chance to watch a, a football game and i because i noticed all these seats were empty i decided afterwards to go and call up the the chicago bears which was the team that was the home that was their home stadium if i could bring some patients to see a football game and fill up some of those empty seats well, the person that was at the office that I that answered the phone just said, treated me like I was the patient, that I was crazy, and I could never do this. And as it turns out, instead of giving up, as I told you earlier, it's kind of this can-do thing, I decided to contact the media and tell them that we have these mental patients that are inpatients that have lived their whole life in this area, and they've never had a chance to go to a football game, and the stadium is half empty, they've got all these seats, why can't we bring some of them there to it? They won't be dangerous. We'll watch them and everything else. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that got on the, the TV 
It was in all the newspapers, all the tabloids and everything else, you know, and it was back and forth, debates over it. You know, people <laughs> bought these seats, they're reserved. How can you do this? You're going to bring crazies into this, uh, into this stadium. They're going, to, they're going to kill somebody, whatever. Well, as it turned out, I got a call that the, uh, a group of people who owned some of the, reserved some of the seats said, we'll donate the seats to you to take your patients to the, wow. to the stadium. So I brought 12 schizophrenic patients into Soldier Field to watch a football game. I have no idea to this day whether or not who won the game. I wrote that. I wrote about this in another book, by the way. This is the story, <laughs> and everybody thought this was the craziest thing. CBS said this guy is totally Doctor Strangelove. He's crazy as hell. He's going to bring <laughs> crazies into the public square here, and they're going to be there and whatever. And they had the time of their life. I mean, I couldn't yeah. care less about the game. It was the well, anyway. The book that it was the story was written in is called Positively Mad, and Mad is an acronym. Positively make uh, uh, make a difference. Make a difference. So that was a crazy thing, but making a difference in people's lives was very meaningful. Yeah. So yeah. What's, the, what's the craziest thought? The craziest thought for me, and I learned this the hard way, and I'm sure most of your <laughs> listeners can resonate and relate to this, is that I'm in control of my life. That's a crazy thought for me because I realized that once I started to let go, once I started to appreciate life, once I started to realize that things happen for a reason, I was able to flow with whatever current was taking me downstream or upstream, wherever you want to look at it. And I realized that control is an illusion. And yeah. I have to be willing. And the only thing I can control, basically, the only thing I reach really is myself in terms of my attitude. You know, I can yeah. change my attitude, but you know, I can't change other people. I can't change, yeah. you know, things that maybe ought to be changed, but, you know, and if I don't, you know, I can't control them. I can't mold them in the way I want them to be. I have to change myself. If I can't change a situation, we're being challenged to change ourselves. Yeah. And do you know, I think that's so important. That point is because we do, we can spend an exorbitant amount of energy and time trying to control the uncontrollable. Exactly. exactly. And not spending any time exactly. learning how to control ourselves. Yeah. And, and then we wonder why we go, what, what, you know, why our, our attitude goes down, why our yeah. sense of self worth goes down. I mean, this is the kind. This is where we talk about a meaning fuel gauge. Is that all of a sudden meaning starts? The tank starts going empty because all of a sudden we stop connecting with people, which is a concern during COVID. It's during the pandemic. People don't have the connections they had before. It really bothers me to see kids with masks on. I, I don't like masks, period. Yeah. But it 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 removes the human connection. I mean, there's so many people that I'm kind of going, I don't even know what you look like. You know? Yeah. I mean, when I was growing up, if you were a mess, you were a bank robber. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, that, and, and now we're becoming accustomed. Now the companies that are making money these days are, are you know, mask and, and, and plexiglass manufacturers. I mean, it's like we're dividing people. We're not bringing them together. And I think that's a major problem in terms of the future of humanity. Do you know, I think that's, it's, it's so important that we do find that sense of meaning in ourselves and that sense of understanding how we can control our attitude in any given circumstance. And I'd, I'd love for you to now, if we can shift it to what, what would you, on the last pillar is surroundings. What is the most beautiful place you've ever visited and what makes it so special? 
Well, again, listeners, I, I, I don't, I don't want to be totally a marketing person, but I have to share with you. This is our book, uh, The Opa Way, in, in English. It's also in Greek, if anybody wants to read Greek. And this is the Greek-inspired book on meaning. And, of course, you've got the, the prisons of our thoughts somewhere. So there it is. Um, I do. I have it on my. I have it on yeah, my um yeah. my Kindle, so I don't yeah. have it available to hold. I'm afraid. Yeah, it's it's in it's in 23 languages. So if you speak other languages, yeah, I'm sure you can find the right one. There are more more on the way. Um, based on the Opal Way experience and based on my heritage, clearly the most important place I've ever visited. Actually, I've spent more time there, so it's, I don't consider it a visit anymore because uh, we actually live part time. You know, uh, over the years before before COVID uh, is Greece. And, and the reason for that is not, not just the weather, not just the food, which I love Greek food. Um, and I'm talking about good Greek food. I'm talking about, you know, the, the, the salads, the seafood, you know, all this stuff. But I'm talking about the people, the spirit of the people. And when you, if you read the Opa way, and I encourage everybody to read the Opa way, because it's another way of, and actually, we actually incorporate the Opa concept into the third edition of Prisoners of Our Thoughts. Is it's it's the notion of okpa is about o connecting meaningfully with others, p engaging with deeper purpose, and a embracing life, all of life with attitude. We found that that formula for meaning we found in Greece because people there are looking for joy in their life. They are incredibly hospitable. I mean, uh, the Greek, the, the king of the gods, Zeus was also the god of hospitality. The Greeks really believe it's in their DNA that they take care of strangers. They showed that during the refugee beginning of the refugee crisis, uh, and for example. But, but if you go visit there, the, you know, you're not a stranger. There's a saying in Crete, for example, if you're ever lost, knock on somebody's door. You can't do that in many places around the world because first I think you're crazy and they'll shoot you or stab you, whatever. Uh, so the Greeks are very hospitable. They have a spirit that is very resilient and so forth. And, and it's, uh, it's just a way of life. And so the idea of writing The Opal Way, which is subtitled Finding Joy and Meaning in Everyday Life and Work, was really to capture and bottle that spirit that Elaine and I found in Greece during our travels over seven years and bringing it back to, in our case, initially to North America so that because people are stressed out. They're getting unhealthy, you know, they don't, they don't eat right. They don't, I mean, the Greeks don't have to go to a gym to go work out. They walk everywhere. They don't have intergenerational problems like we have in a lot of the places. Multi-generations go out to dinner together, to lunch together, they walk together, they party together, they dance together. I'm a little concerned now with COVID that it's kind of minimizing a lot of that connection. But I yeah. think that spirit, that ability to be fully human is yeah. probably the most wonderful thing. And, and I, I use this a lot when I give speeches and so forth, when I talk about how do I know when I'm elevating the human spirit with meaning? And I describe it as kind of like taking the, the top off the box of Tinkerbell and Peter Pan. You know, if you put Peter Pan's, you know, Tinkerbell in a box and you close it, her light goes out. And I can see people, you can see, you know, you see it yourself, whether they're enthusiastic, whether they're manifesting the spirit within, or whether mm -hmm. they're depressed, whether they feel like life has no purpose, no meaning, that they're kind of giving up. And I think that my commitment to everybody that listens, and I, I know you're doing the same thing, Dr. Ruth, is commitment to people and helping others find joy and meaning and health, including brain health, as you define it more holistically mm. in their life. And I think that that's, that's a key mission that I wish more of us would uh, you know, prescribe to. Yeah. 
Uh, and, and, you know, thank you for sharing that because I think the impact our surroundings have had in the last two years from a COVID <clears throat> perspective is in terms of how we've lost that connection um, to an environment that was really serving us in a positive <clears throat> way to, to now being very much isolated physically yeah. Um, and that whole dynamic of the human interaction that we talked about earlier has, has shifted and it'd be interesting to see, and we won't see it to the extent now, but we'll probably see it further down the line, the impact that will have on people's mental health. Um, oh, we're seeing that. Uh, I don't, I don't have COVID, I'm coughing. Um, <laughs> that's that's okay. No, you're absolutely We're seeing it now as well. Yeah. The collateral damage from these policies are horrendous. They're horrific. And yeah. the, the, you know, teen suicide, depression, aggression, all the things that uh, that Victor Frankl talked about at the end of World yeah. War II, when he talked about the, the, what he called the mass neurotic triad, aggression, depression, and addiction. We're seeing more of that now than we did yeah. after World War II. And actually and, COVID is, has a huge impact on our brain health. Absolutely. You know, which people are not really talking about at all. No. Um, to, to the extent that they really need to. And I'm not just talking about people developing conditions, but the symptoms getting worse. So you're more, if you are on the mental health struggle space, then you're more likely to have greater struggles. And obviously, if you're not on that spectrum, you could be moving towards that spectrum if you haven't taken the appropriate steps um, to be well. Yeah. And to learn how to be well, and to learn how to manage all of those five pillars that we yeah. that we've covered off just from the the fun facts aspect, yeah. Yeah. is how we and, can optimize and, all of those. And if you look at it from the OPA uh, formula, which again goes back to Victor Frankl, because they all three O P and A can also be incorporated into see in prisoners of our thoughts yeah. into the seven principles of logotherapy. When people are losing connection, you know, because they're social distancing, we can't go to certain places, we can't go out to eat together a lot of times, and that is having a negative impact on meaning, uh, where our ability to engage with deeper purpose in many cases is starting to decrease because people are losing their jobs, mm -hmm. uh, they're working you know, in, in places, in, in things that maybe they didn't plan on doing, and so they're feeling their, their purpose in life, in many respects, is, is seems to be uh, uh, negatively impacted. And then their attitude, obviously. I mean, people's attitudes, uh, you know, some people are so afraid that they'll walk across the street rather than be near you. All right. If you're not wearing a mask or if they're not sure if you're vaccinated or whatever. I mean, it's just, the absurdity. I can't tell you how absurd yeah. this is. And I'm telling you this as somebody who's been around the block a few times. Mm. This is not right. There's something wrong here. You, you know, and I, I know we weren't going to get into the politics. Yeah. But I just don't understand how we can allow humanity to suffer so much for something that really the, the, the cure is worse than the disease right now. Mm. And I think, you know, it comes back to what we were talking about earlier is the need that we need to take responsibility and learn how to be well mm -hmm. uh, and live with, you know, and live with mm -hmm. the uh, pandemic right. because right. it's not going to go away. It's not going away. Uh, and and vaccination isn't the single solution. There are many options in which mm -hmm. people people can take to 
improve their well-being, to build their immune system, to build their defences, to to recover more quickly, to minimise the risk of long COVID, to support themselves in a in a connected way. So, um, just as an example, when as soon as COVID hit, I knew being in the military and serving from a military response perspective during COVID is I knew that there was going to be a lockdown. So one of the first things I did was set up a social Facebook group for our immediate community mm. and with post-it flyers that went through every door, 100 households I went round before the government um, pulled lockdown. Mm. Um, and now we have a much stronger community in our neighbourhood um, because people have been able to leverage the social media network to help each other. Um, and to connect with each other outdoors. We do a lot more, uh, interestingly, a lot more interaction in the neighbourhood because of this than we used to pre-COVID. But it's, it's again, finding, going back to finding some meaning in this. How can we leverage this situation we are in to create a better future yeah. and, and to find the meaning that we can attribute to this and 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 build a human race that is is resilient mm -hmm. but also empathic and supportive to each other not destructive to each other and in not creating you know having history repeat itself because yeah. we're focusing on the negative and not looking at the opportunities or as you, as i said the meaning in it so i'd love to and we're coming on time now, but yeah. we've, we, uh, gosh, we could, I think we could probably talk. We could, we could. I'd love, you know, people are really struggling uh, now with COVID in finding some meaning in their lives or, or because of the situations that they've been thrown into. And this is causing them a huge amount of pain and suffering. What what would your one piece of advice be from all of your research, from all of the work that you've done to help people find meaning and help them unchain the pain that they may be experiencing in the context of this spiritual well-being that we, we, yeah. we covered in this show? Well, let me answer probably in two or maybe even three steps. Um, I think the first thing, and again, it, it, in prisoners of our thoughts, there's, there's there's a whole little section on on fear, the notion of fear. Mm. Right now, in the, over the last two years, but especially in this last year, society around the world, societies around the world, cultures around the world have been really fueled by fear. Mm. And fear is something that is really, I think, driving a lot of people in a downward spiral. And so my first recommendation is to understand that courage in order to be responsible is not the absence of fear it's the ability and the willingness to go through the fear and i think that the idea of going through the fear means that we have to again i know it sounds like it's a marketing pitch but we have to not be prisoners of our thoughts we have to be able to get out of that inner mental prison and understand that fear is probably the thing that is going to be most debilitating to us as we go forward we have to be more open to the possibilities and opportunities that still lie ahead rather than looking in the rearview mirror. Mm -hmm. So fear, so so dealing with fear and helping people get through fear is, is one step. The other, the other step is to look at meaning in the simplest way would be to look at it in the in the context of OPA. The the OPA concept 
again, is built on three elements. And we've st studied this, we've, we've done empirical research on, on this, is that the three elements, we actually did a regression analysis about what OPNA means in terms of its impact. O is, is that others component, connect meaningfully, authentically with others. So the idea here is that if you're finding yourself alone, you've got to find alternative venues, alternative uh, vehicles, uh, alternative pathways to connect with others, okay? And so do the thing that you did, your, your community group, was fantastic. So building your O is an important element of meaning. P is engaging with deeper purpose, finding another purpose. You know, maybe you lost your job, maybe you lost a loved one. I mean, there's so many things that are causing pain in societies today around the world. And so helping others find a purpose is an important purpose in itself. Mm. And then the A in OPA is embrace life, all of life with attitude, which is hard for a lot of people to do because they say, okay, well, how can I, you know, I can't be smiling and, you know, you know, just be happy every day. Well, actually, in a way, I'm not talking about happiness in the sense of what we think about happiness. I'm talking about finding deeper joy and appreciation, appreciating life. And so changing your attitude, because you can't really be happy if you're a prisoner in a concentration camp. But you can still find joy in other ways. You can still, Dr. Franco would say, I love the sunset last night as he's looking yeah. through. You know what I mean? I mean, there are other ways of doing it. And I know this sounds like pop psychology, but this is based on experience, personal experience, yeah. and the work they've done with Franco and the work that you've done in your life. Yeah. And so the idea is, is that where you're low in A, you got to find some other O or P to help bring up the A. You did that with your, with your uh, community. And with the yeah. clients you work with, if you're high on A, hopefully you can help people find a deeper uh, purpose. Yeah. You know what I mean, so the idea is, is that the, the reason we wrote the Opal Way and the reason we came up with this concept is that we wanted to demystify what the search for meaning was about, because not everybody can understand all of the logotherapeutic principles that are in prisons of our thoughts, because mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot harder to maintain and understand. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, what are the seven habits of highly effective people? You know, mm -hmm. Stephen Covey wrote the forward to our book. Well, you know, I can I can probably remember two or three of them. I don't know yeah. what the other you know others are. And so we wanted something to be really simple. Mm. So we chose the OPNA acronym because it's others a purpose and attitude. Attitude. It's it's a Greek word. It's a Greek concept. It's OPA. And if you say OPA with enthusiasm, you Opa. cannot. Yeah, OPA. You cannot feel anything but better. <laughs> so so that would be what I you know what I, what I leave you with is that you can find meaning. I mean, you you've got to be able to see yourself as a human spirit who's resilient, more resilient than you can even imagine. Yeah. And that you can in fact find a deeper sense of self by practicing some of these principles yeah. and doing some of the things to unchain your pain through brain health, yeah. training, et cetera, et cetera. Thank, thank you so much for sharing that. Cause I think that's really powerful as, is the open way, which yeah. is, is, is the importance of connecting with others and doing that in ways that we haven't done before. That's right. And, and, and that, finding purpose sure. and, and if you're connecting with others differently you can find purpose in that new Absolutely. way of connecting Absolutely. and as, as you said finally is is that attitude is is leveraging your ability to choose your attitude in that situation and also um leveraging your emotions in a positive way because we it's okay to feel negative but we can yeah. leverage the power of those that allows us to move forward in life and totally. not eat us up inside. You know, right. anger can be really good um, if it moves us forward. Right. Um, 
uh, you know, it's almost like a passion with with extra energy, isn't it? When we right. get angry yeah. about things. So. Well, escaping the prison of your thoughts, your inner thoughts, is very similar to unchaining your pain. Yeah, that's what it means, right? It's, it's, it's exactly break, the same. Break, breaking the chains, right? <laughs> and so this is an important element that I think if, if people could could grasp that and, and practice that, yeah, uh, I, I, I guarantee that it will, it'll make a difference in your life. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that, Dr. Alice. And, and um, I would love to know, how can people best get hold of you to learn more about the amazing work that you're doing, the books that we've spoken about on the show, and how they can really find that deeper meaning in their lives? Well, uh, our, web, our website is globalmeaninginstitute.com. All right. And uh, email, you can email me at info at globalmeaninginstitute.com. You can certainly find me if you Google or you, any search engine, you can find other connections to psychology today, other uh, social media and so forth. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd be happy to hear from anybody and, and anything, any feedback uh, that you receive. Uh, I'd love for you to share that with me as well. Absolutely, so absolutely. And I'd love for you to come back on the show if you have time once you, oh, yeah. we talked about your new book. Uh, and, yes, absolutely. Uh, and if you'd be willing, it would be fantastic to continue. I'd love to do that. That, that. Now that will get us into the political realm. I know it would, but sometimes we have to go to places that are uncomfortable. But in a good way, in a kind way. It's a, it's about society, right? Right. And it's about our human race, ultimately, human race. isn't it? That's right. Uh, and, and creating a better future for us. future for everybody. For That's everybody. Right. Absolutely. I'm with you. Yeah. Thank you very much. So, so thank you so much for, for coming on the show. As you know, everyone, this show is all about brain health and unchaining your pain you're not stuck with the brain you have, you can make it better. And we're here with these fantastic guests like Dr. Alex to help show you how. Dr. Alex, thank you for thank coming you. on the show. Thank you very much. To you by Winjack Studios. We are an all-in-one educational platform for podcasters that revolutionizes how hosts leverage content to increase engagement with listeners, downloads, and income. We come together to focus on community, collaboration, and collective impact. For more information on how you can interact directly with our hosts, access exclusive live content with offers you can't get anywhere else from our official partners, join our purpose-driven community by visiting www.winject.com. If you're ready to build a career doing what you love, then we're ready to see you there.